I, I don't think it's an accident that the devil tries to mess things up for us when we're going to look at healing. Actually, I think I, I choose to believe that the reason he's messed things up is because God plans to heal today. Hallelujah. Fantastic. So I don't know if the dynamic duo kind of shared with you, but even this bit is going to be a little bit bit different this morning. It's going to be a bit of a game of two halves. Um, I'm going to talk for a little bit, and then we're going to come together and do communion together, and then I'm going to come back up. I'm sorry if that upsets anybody. I'm going to come back up and just kind of finish it off, and then we'll respond out the back of that. Oh, and before that, there's worship, yeah. Um, even I can't get it right. <clears throat> so, we're going to talk about healing. We're continuing our series on revival culture. And healing's quite an emotive subject, isn't it? And I'm not going to pretend to you that I'm going to stand up here today and give you all the answers, because I'm just not. Because everybody has had that, that experience where they've got somebody that they love and they've really, really prayed for them to be healed, and actually they haven't been. Yeah. everybody's done that where they've kind of stepped out in, in boldness and in obedience to God and prayed for somebody and haven't seen a result. It is just really an emotive subject. And it's a subject that in the Bible that it's repeated over and over again. We see it at least according to Google, which is obviously the fountain of all knowledge, 150 times healing healed. They were healed, mentioned. I don't know if you kind of heard the news this weekend where um, there was some stabbings in London. It's just so senseless. Two people and all their families, lives changed forever. We need more healing in our land more than we've ever needed before. We need to see healing in our schools. We need to see healing in our workplaces. We need to see healing for our marriages, for relationships, and we need to see healing for our minds and our bodies. I've been fortunate enough in the 12 years that I've been a Christian to have had experienced healing for myself and for my family. In fact, at my very point of, an, of conversion, I encountered the love of God and was healed emotionally. I mean, at the time, I was in like the, the, the darkest place. Every day, I kind of wished that it was my last. And I went from that place of complete and utter darkness to a place of absolutely overpowering light. I was filled with joy in the overwhelming love of God. And in that moment, I was healed. And I became spiritually alive. In June 2018, Richard went across to Bogota. He did that out of obedience to what God was saying to him, to go and witness for himself what was going on over there in the church in Aviva Miento. When he came back, it was the day after um, I'd had a bit of an accident. I did have a picture to go on the screen. Um, some of you have heard this story, but I, I smashed up my face. It looked pretty, it looked an absolute mess, and not as beautiful as it does now. Um, 
it, it worries me that you laugh. <laughs> I, it was swollen. I had scabs. Um, I damaged my hand, which was swollen and um, really, really painful. And, and Richard came back the very next day, and we gathered together as a Northside team. Um, we were in his front room. He wanted to share something of what he'd encountered while he was in Bogota. And we were in his front room, and unfortunately, he subjected us to watching football for a while. Um, I think it was Colombia versus somebody, um, maybe England, I don't know. Um, after we'd endured that, uh, sorry, watched that, <laughs> was it, it was England, yeah? Did they win? England won. Um, after we, we watched that, we, we started to pray together. And the presence of the Holy Spirit in the room was actually, was palpable. We, we just felt this kind of overwhelming sense of his presence. It's like for just a moment, we got the opportunity to reach up our hands and touch something of the heavenly realm. And it was from that place that I saw something of God's healing. As I kind of had my hands in the air, I felt the pain in my hands go. And I looked down and, and the swelling had completely gone. I sort of like started poking it, you know. And when I brought it to the attention of the, the others around me, you could just feel the faith in the room lift. There was a real sense of excitement that God was there and that God could heal and would heal. And at that point, they all kind of gathered around me and laid hands and started praying with great faith that my face would be completely healed. And the next day, that was exactly what happened. All the swelling, all the big scabs, everything just completely gone. And since then, I've often wondered, why did God heal my face that day? We, we hadn't even been praying about healing when, when we saw the first kind of reaction happening. And I, I thought about, why did he heal my face? Which would have cleared up in a couple of weeks anyway. And yet, I have a stomach ulcer that I've suffered with for 20 years and prayed again and again and again for and, and that's not been pretty healed. So because that happened, I started getting really interested in finding out more about healing. I started kind of reading the Bible. I started listening to preachers, asking people about it. And this led me to believing the purpose of healing was to bring glory to God and point people to Jesus. So many, many people had seen sort of the mess that my face was in one day and then saw it healed the next day. It was such a dramatic and visual thing that people couldn't help but react. Christians are non-Christians. Their reaction was one of just complete awe and shock. That's the power of God among us. Yet it led me down the wrong path because I started thinking that maybe we shouldn't be pressing into healings in here. Because actually we are all Christians. Or the majority of us already have put our trust in Jesus. So maybe what we should be doing as a church is taking healing outside of the building. 
going in and praying for people on the streets, praying for people to be healed and to encounter the love of Jesus. But actually, I think both of these things are good. The Bible shows healing for many reasons. It shows healing because of compassion, because of love, to point people to Jesus, to glorify God. But I guess what's more of a consideration for us is, what is our role in healing? And to look at that, we're going to look at 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14. And it won't come on the screen behind you. It's a very short verse, one verse only, so it's not going to be too complicated. But actually, it's full of such amazing truth. It says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal, heal their land. Let's just pray. Father God, among this holy chaos this morning, we make a choice to believe that you are here and that you want to heal today. Lord, we pray that you will open our ears and open our hearts and, and just speak directly into us. Lord, we pray that the faith for healing in this room will rise. That actually we will, we will just have a higher expectation that you are going to do something in us and among us today. In your almighty name, amen. So you'll notice in that verse that there's an if-then statement. It's conditional. There are conditions attached to the promises that God has made. The tar small print tells us that terms and conditions apply. So let's have a look. <laughs> I need to stop pointing behind me. Let's have a look at it again. It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then they will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. So that verse in 2 Chronicles was spoken by God to King Solomon as he built the temple to the Lord. And it speaks of the covenant blessing and the curses for the nation of Israel. Basically, God was saying that he wants obedience from his people and he made promises for their obedience. And actually, the application of that still stands today. God's promise of blessing for our obedience. And the first verse establishes who that promise is made to. It says, if my people. So who are God's people? Well, John 3.16 tells us, I mean, many of us will know that verse by heart. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So God's people are whoever have made, has made a choice to follow Jesus. Whoever puts their trust in him. 
Last week, we had some baptisms here at the north and, and one at the south as well. We had Mercedes, Emily, Claire here at the north. I mean, John at the south. And they put their trust in Jesus. And they became my people. Not mine personally, but they became God's people. And it meant that that promise at that point that they gave their life to Jesus became their promise too. And you, you may, like them, have only recently put your trust in Jesus or maybe your, the joy of salvation was given to you many, many years ago. But actually, it should also be a daily thing. Our salvation is secure, but actually sometimes we forget to trust Jesus in the day-to-day Instead, we put our trust in other things. So maybe we should make our morning prayer to just lift our hands and say, Father God, Jesus, I just put my trust in you again today. I choose to believe in you. I ask that you forgive me of my sins. And I pray help me to, to turn back and put my trust in you and not in my own understanding. The promise of healing and forgiveness is for God's people. That's you guys. That's me. And that's not to say that he won't heal other people. Because he's God. He's sovereign over all things. And he gets to be God wherever he wants to. He makes the rules and he gets to make the exceptions to the rules as well. But he is clear about one thing, about our involvement in healing. The verses are his promise to, our, to his people, but they do say conditions apply. So what are these conditions? Well, the first one is humility. It says God's people, my people, will humble themselves. So what does it look like when we humble ourselves before God. Every time we do something wrong, every time we mess up, we go straight to God. We keep short accounts. You know, when, we, when we kind of get up and be short with somebody, we immediately turn back to God and say, God, I'm sorry that I did that. When we are speeding along the motorway, breaking the speed limit, Immediately we say, God, I am I'm sorry that I did that. When we go through our day and we get to the end of the day and we realise that actually we haven't included God in it at all, then we repent immediately. God, I'm sorry that I haven't put you at the centre. Help me to do that better. Humble people repent quickly. A humble person forgives quickly. We often feel that pride makes us hold things against people. A humble person doesn't keep account of wrongs. A humble person recognises that through Jesus, they have been forgiven much. And so they forgive others. You are most like Christ when you refuse to defend yourself against the accusations of other people. Jesus didn't defend himself. It says in Matthew 27, 12, when he was accused 
by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. What is the good of defending your name if it causes you to sin? In fact, the Bible tells us that we should bless our enemies, that we should pray for our enemies, that we should want good things for them, that we should love those people that are difficult to love. And a humble person serves rather than allows himself to be served. John 13, verse 14 to 15 says, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. And I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Now, most of you or anybody that knows me knows that I don't do feet at all. Actually, we're called to humble ourselves. We're called to do as Jesus has done. Being humble, this is the premise. Being healed and forgiven, that is God's promise. And being humble doesn't mean that we're not confident people. Actually, our confidence doesn't come from ourselves. It comes from our identity in Christ. Being humble doesn't mean that we think less of ourselves. It means we think of ourselves less. It means that we put God first. It means that we serve those around us. And the second thing that this small print says is that we should pray. If my people pray. Healing doesn't come in our own strength. He's waiting for us to ask. Actually, healing is really scary, isn't it? We may question, do I have faith for this? Especially when we've had experiences where we prayed and it hasn't been successful in the past. But actually, we're not responsible for the results. We're only asked to ask. The Bible tells us, ask and you shall be given, seek and you will find, knock and the door shall be open. Jesus wants you to ask. And we should have confidence knowing that Jesus wants us to ask. Jesus is asking us to ask to meet every need that we have. And not asking means not trusting. Ask in the name of Jesus. You can ask anything in the name of Jesus. He won't give you everything. It's up to God to determine what's best for us in his good and perfect will. But ask. And when we're asking for healing, bring people along beside you. Pray with others. James 5.14 says, If any among you are sick, let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. Pray together for healing. You don't need to grab an elder, although they're always around and available, so go pick one if you need one. Pray with your families. Pray, pray with your growth groups. Pray with your prayer triplets. Pray with anybody, just pray. Pray believing that you're going to be answered. Pray persistently. Pray until God tells you to stop. 
Some of you might remember um, a young lad called Max that used to come to this church. He was like larger than life, he was really enthusiastic. Yeah, if Max was in the room, you knew it. And he had such a passion for healing. And if Max came and prayed for you for healing, he would come up and he would lay his hands on you and he would pray and then he would stop and then he would say to you, is it better? Are you healed? And if you said no or maybe a little bit, then he would go again and again and again and again. And Max only stopped if the person got healed, if God told him to stop, or if the person being prayed for got really bored and made their excuses and left. But you couldn't fault Max's passion for healing. And the third thing is seek. Seek God. Don't seek God's miracles. Don't... Don't seek his signs and his wonders. Seek him. Desire to go deeper and deeper into an intimate relationship with him. To know him better. To, to seek his face and let his face shine upon you in the same way that happened with Moses when he came down the mountain so that you might reflect something of the glory of God. Seek his face, not a miracle, not a sign, not the wonders Seek the gift giver, not the gift. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first the kingdom of heaven and, the right, and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you again as well. When you seek him, all else will be added to you. God isn't Amazon Prime. We don't put our order in and expect next day delivery. This is about relationship. Seek God, not merely his blessing. And whenever you get an answer that you want, praise his glorious name. Offer up your prayers to him. And Lord, if you don't get an answer that you want, then just seek his glorious name. Just praise him. Lift your hands and, and thank him that he is God and that he is sovereign and that he knows ultimately what is best for you. Choose to seek God in the difficult times. Choose to seek God through the pain of death, the pain of divorce, through the pain of broken marriages when we're struggling with anxiety, with illness, sickness, with death, choose to seek God, choose to praise his glorious name. Hebrews 11.6 says, and without faith it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Pursuing God isn't a sideline, it's not an add-on. It's what we do first and all else will be added. Some of you might know I have at home a saxophone. Beautiful, sits in a stand in my living room. Um, Jonathan bought it for me maybe three or four years ago. I can still only pay, play three or four bars of Amazing Grace. George Williamson would be pleased with me at least. After three or four years, that's all I can do. 
And I'd love to be able to pray it, pray it, play it. I'd love to be able to one day be standing up here during worship and playing the saxophone. You know, like um, Maggie, is it Maggie out of the Simpsons? Lisa out of the Simpsons. <laughs> but the truth is, I don't actually put the effort in. I, if you want to get good at something, if you want to get better at something, then actually you need to make space for it. You need to practice, for, practice it. Okay. Otherwise, it's just something that sits nice and shiny in the living room. And we can be a little bit like that as Christians. Yeah, we can receive God and look a lot like Christians on the outside. But actually, if we're not pursuing God, if we're not pursuing that relationship, then we don't get to make beautiful music with him. Seek him earnestly. Make space for him in your life. Seek him with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And then my final point in this, this half of the, um, the talk is turn from your wicked ways. And I don't know what you think about when you hear the word wicked. You know, when I think about what happened at the weekend with those stabbings, that sounds wicked. Child abuse, that is wicked. Like kind of mass murders, that is wicked. Even names like Hitler, you think, is wicked. But actually, wicked stems for, from forgetting God. Isaiah 55 said, Seek the Lord while we, he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the, un, the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. When we forget God, we sin. When we forget God, we turn back to our old fleshy selves and, and rely on kind of, you know, being in flesh. The Greek word for turn is metanoia, change your mind, change in one's way of life resulting in repentance or spiritual conversion. When I became a Christian, I, I repented and turned back to God. And actually, it was amazing. I went from a place of darkness. I went from a place of being held captive by sin, held captive by uh, hurts in my life, to being set free, to being released and restored. Actually, repentance is a joy. It brings release, it brings freedom, it brings transformation, it brings an intimacy with our Lord and Saviour that sin separates us from. Acts 3.19 says, Repent and then turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Why did I get healed that night? Because we completely forgot ourselves. We got lost in the moment when we were earnestly seeking God in that glorious, sweet moment where we just felt like something of God's heaven touching earth. We felt something of God's holiness 
and it just showed us our sinfulness. And actually what we did was we fell down. We fell down on the floor and we kind of said, holy, holy, holy Lord. And we might not have said that with our lips, but we were saying it with our heart. And as our spirit testified with his spirit that he was Lord, that he was God, that he was Savior. In that moment, he was put back in the right place in our lives. And it was from that place that we saw healing. God heals. He heals because he's God. He heals because he loves. He's a loving God. He's a loving father. Death, disease, cancers, sickness, mental illness, none of these were ever, ever part of God's plan for his people. Marriage breakdowns, fragmented relationships, drug dependency, pornography, selfishness, one-upmanship, gossip, grumbling hearts. These are all just symptoms of a sin-sick world. But the great thing is that God made a covenant to restore his people, to forgive sin and to heal our land and we get to partner with him in doing this how by being a humble people humility is a choice by repenting by being persistent in prayer by pursuing him with all our hearts and all our minds and all our souls if you really really want to see revival break in the, out in this place then we need to pursue God. We need to put him first. We need to make him the center of everything. And then we'll begin to see something of his transforming power. We'll begin to see something of heaven touching earth. We'll begin to see healing in this building and healing outside of this building. We'll begin to see people's lives transformed. We'll begin to see people set free. Set free. Do we want this church? We're going to take a, an opportunity just to kind of respond out the back of that. We're going to come to the communion table and uh, the dynamic duo are going to help you with that. And then I'll come back up. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and, I'm, and will forgive their sin and heal their land. We're going to take communion now and it's an opportunity just to come before God and, and, do, and do those things that Heather's talked about, to humble ourselves, to pray to seek God's face, to seek him and to turn and to repent from those things that we know uh, are, are in the way, are blockers. Because this, this is a picture of Jesus dying for us, body broken on the cross, blood shed for us to enable us to be in relationship with him, to be in relationship with Father God, to have the Holy Spirit poured into us and through us. 
It's, it's, it's all made possible because of what Jesus did on the cross. Paul said this to the church in Corinth, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. same way he also took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup you proclaim the lord's death until he comes whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the lord let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. On the one hand, this is, this is no small thing that, that we do here, actually. If you love the Lord Jesus and you, and, you, and you know him and you've given your life to him, you are more than welcome to come forward and take the bread and take the cup. But before you do so, just take a moment. Take a moment to, to bring before him anything which is in the way. Humble yourselves before him. Turn from stuff that you know is, has gone wrong this week. Keep those short accounts. It's also a celebration, though. It's a celebration of what he's done for us. It's a, it's a meal of gratitude. So let's also be joyful about this. This is a wonderful thing that we can do. So we've got, we've got stations here, well, here, left, right. Uh, let's, let's come forward as family. And, and I know normally we, it's, we find it hard to pray for each other sometimes, but actually... If you want some prayer, just grab someone and pray with them. You know, it's, this is an opportunity to do this together. So let's 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 stand, shall we? If you're able to, uh, and come forward and and be communion.